for our feature presentation. If there's anything we've ever done that I'm particularly proud of, I, w I would have to say that the uh, perpetuation of the greatness of the Raiders to take a professional football team and give it a distinct characteristic that's different from all others. The greatness of the Raiders. Some may scoff, but what other pro sports team is instantly identified with a song like this one? I had a dream that someday I would build the finest organization in professional sports. There's a commitment to excellence, the greatest players, the flame that would burn brightest here is the will to win. Just win. Play hard. Try not to make mistakes. But don't worry about mistakes because there's only one thing that counts. Just win. When you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players, you have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Welcome to another edition of Q&A with your boy Q and myself, Joe Arrigo, on the Silver and Black Cry Podcast Network, powered by SD Nation. Q, what's going on with you, bro? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. The Raiders are 3-2. and two. They're in the bye week. And, I mean, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that after uh, five games and and two tough ones on the road, or three tough ones on the road, they'd be uh, three and two. I'd uh, I'd be I'd take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So yeah, man, I'm doing really good. Is that the same record as the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> it absolutely is. And not only that, not only is it the same record as the Dallas Cowboys, it's also a record that's good enough to be sitting alone in second place in the AFC West. So I mean, again, not, not something to shake a stick at. You know what I like best about the record is like after the Green Bay game, I think their their schedule becomes a hell of a lot easier at that point. Yep. And if they can make it out of that no worse than three and three, I think they did a phenomenal job of not only managing the schedule, not only winning games that that they think they could win. Because remember, two weeks ago or three weeks ago when we did the show, we said if the Raiders go two and one, you have to legitimately start thinking about them as a playoff caliber team. Well, guess what? The Raiders went two and one, and you really have to consider them a team that could make a run to make the playoffs. Yeah, no, you do. And it's funny, and I'm not trying to be Nostradamus, and I'm not trying to predict the future or anything or say because I'm going to give you this little nugget that this is guaranteed to happen. But I will say the last nine games that have been won overseas, the team that has won the overseas game has gone to the playoffs later that season. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And it goes all the way back to 2016 when the Raiders beat the Texans in Mexico City. Well, in 2016, they went to the playoffs. Every single overseas game or, or uh, international game, I should say, uh, that has been played. It's been nine of them. The winning team from that game has gone to the playoffs later that year. I'm just throwing that out there. You know what is great, though, brother, is, is when I said, and when we said we did our prediction show, we, I said, you know what? Anywhere between seven and, and maybe nine wins, I think we agreed on that. And a chance for the wild card. People thought we were crazy. Right. But there's no way they're a four-win team. They're the freaking Raiders. They're not going to do anything. Next year in Oakland. Blah, blah, blah. Like, take away the goggles. Take away the whatever team you root for. If you're a Raider fan, take away your Raider goggles for a minute and look at this team 
and look at everything they've overcame already. They'll start with, you know, losing incognito for the first two games and him finally getting his legs back, I think, in Europe. And really, we've seen a couple penalties against him against the Bears, but that's what you incognito football. And one of them was kind of ticky-tacking me. I mean, I think the one of the holding calls was, was, a, was a BS call. But pushing the guy's head into the ground, ah, that happens in <laughs> football. You know, it's not like he stomped on his head or something like that, you know, whatever. You know, but then you look at the the diva wide receiver situation, you know, like how they got through that. You look at the perfect situation, how they're, they're navigating through that. The injury situation, to be three and two, I think it's indicative of, one, the talent on the team. It's a great job by John Gruden and Mike Mayock identifying guys that they wanted and getting them in there, signing them. And, and that goes from not only drafting but free agency and do the coaching job that they're doing right now. They're coaching their asses off. And that's something in past years you really can't say about a lot of these Raiders teams. No, you can't. You know, and the other thing about it is, you know, you mentioned a bunch of the challenges that they've uh, already faced and are, are working to overcome and have overcame. But also another one is how long they're going to be away from the Coliseum. I mean, remember, they played the first two games at home and now they're on the on the road. And even though the game in, in London was considered a home game, it wasn't because it was in London. I mean, they're away from the Coliseum the whole month of October. They don't get back to Oakland until November. So uh, that's another challenge that they're overcoming. And that's not easy for any team. That's really not easy for the Raiders. They've never won a game until Sunday in London. So, I mean, they're just there's things on the, on, the, on the list that they're just putting a check, check, been there, done that, been there, done that, okay, been there, done that. I mean, this is really impressive what they've been able to do. Now, look, I don't want to get too over, over the moon. I don't want to get too excited. It's five weeks. They've won three games. They've lost two. There's still 11 more games to be played in the regular season. You still got to buckle down. You got to handle your business, and you got to go out and play. Each and every game is winnable. Each and every game is losable. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter. It could be the worst team in the league. You could get caught. So, you know, you don't want to get caught slipping. But, I mean, again, if you're in the bye week, which the Raiders are, and you're sitting at 3-2 and two right now, and you had told me that before the season started, that that's how it's going to shake out, I definitely would have took that. Well, let's talk about the game in, in London real quick. Um, the thing that stood out to me, there's a couple things that stood out to me, and over on Franchise Sports Media, I do uh, game, greater game balls every Tuesday. And it gives me a time to not just watch the game on Sunday, but re-watch it again the following day or later Sunday night and kind of like watch it without any type of bias or knowing the outcome already. And I can kind of look for specific things. And this week, uh, for the third time in five games, uh, Josh Jacobs got a game ball for me. And I think what this game showed me in particular was Josh Jacobs has established himself as the Raiders' best player. And not only on offense, but overall on the team. He dictated that game. He dominated that game. What he showed me with his ability to pick up the tough yard, with his ability to catch the ball at the backfield, three catches for 20 yards, but his cutback and his vision is so far and above beyond anything the Raiders have had in a number of years. And what he has done is given the Raiders' offense an identity, something that they've lacked in recent years. God bless Marshawn Lynch and the guys that were there prior to Marshawn Lynch, uh, Murray and, and Richard, who's still there, obviously, and Washington, who's still there. But really not since dating back to Gruden's first time as a head coach. There really hasn't been that identity on offense from a running back, not even Darren McFadden. And you see it now 
with Josh Jacobs. And he got one. I gave up four game balls. I'll just go through and quickly and talk about each one later. But Josh Jacobs got one. Derek Carr got one. The Raiders offensive line, the Raiders defense, and actually the Raiders front office. Those are the five that, that got game balls this week. But back to, to Jacobs, I really believe he's giving the Raiders an identity. And if you can tell they're a different team when he's not in the game. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right. And look, the way John Gruden and his offense is is ran, and the way that it's running when it, it runs on on all cylinders is when the run game is successful. And so that's why they drafted a guy like Josh Jacobs in the first round because they knew they needed that guy. And you mentioned Marshawn Lynch; he wasn't going to be that dude. I mean, that was a nice that was a nice warm and fuzzy type situation with him being from Oakland, playing in Oakland. That's great. He lived out his childhood dream, but it was never really about the team when it came to Marshawn Lynch. This with Josh Jacobs is personal. It's a, it's about the team. It's about him being established in the league. He's a rookie that was drafted really high, and he wants to prove his worth. And nothing he does is satisfying to him. He comes from that that Nick Saban tree. He's a disciple of Nick Saban. I mean, being an Alabama guy, that's kind of how they're, they're bred. You know, you have to play with this certain mentality. That's just who these guys are. It's one of the main reasons why I like Alabama guys because the mentality that they're expected to have. Now, they don't all shake out in the NFL. I get it. They don't all work out, and and that mentality doesn't always uh, translate to the next level. But with Josh Jacobs, he's proven that he is that dude. And you're right. He has established an identity, and the Raiders, when they're clicking, it's when Josh Jacobs is clicking. And he did that early, and he did it often in that game on Sunday against the Bears. And that offensive line, you got to give them a lot of credit because that's a nasty defensive line the Bears have, and they were just blowing them up. Up off the line of scrimmage, and that, that was great. I mean, Josh Jacobs was getting through the line of scrimmage. He wasn't getting touched till he was three or four yards down the field already. So he he had a hell of a day, and the offensive line did as well. Yeah, 123 yards on 26 carries. That was like over, I think it was like 5.3 yards per carry, something like that. And then three catches for 20 yards. He had two touchdowns. My next game ball went to Derek Carr. Look, you can say what you want about Derek Carr, whether you like him or dislike him, but what Derek did – he orchestrated the Raiders' offense to near perfection. He made clutch throws in the tight windows in critical parts of the games. He came up big on third down when the Raiders needed him the most. Look at that final drive when they scored. They, they took the ball down the field. He played a major role in that. You know, he stood tall in the pocket. He faced uh, pressure, stepped in, and made big throws against the Bears' defense that is really vaunted. He threw for 229 yards, completing 25 to 32 passes. But he showed leadership and dial that you want in your quarterback. And, and I, I'll, I'll tie that in with the Raiders' offensive line, Q, because they played their asses off all game. I mean, they opened up huge holes for Jacobs, as you just said. Um, they kept Carr clean for the most part. And what they did is they neutralized everybody's favorite player, the guy who was going to dominate the game and sat Carr 20 times, Khalil Mack, who was non-existent all game. Yep. I mean, to the point to where he walked, he didn't even talk to the media afterwards because he was so frustrated. That, again, goes to what I was talking about last weekend. I know TQ you know, on Twitter goes, you're a hater, and Khalil Mack, that's his favorite player, even though you know, he, he understands why he left. I'm not a hater. I'm looking at pure statistics, pure film. Khalil Mack is the ultimate bully against bad offensive lines and bad quarterbacks. He racks up sacks and forced fumbles and – and uh, and sack fumbles and all the other good statistics that come with their pressures. But against good offensive lines and good quarterbacks that maybe have average offensive lines to get the ball out quickly, he's not that guy. 140 million, and what did he do against 
the Raiders' offensive line. Give, again, Miller, Colton Miller, and give Trent Brown a lot of credit for what they did. They kept Carr clean. They kept the holes open for Jacobs. They neutralized Matt and allowed the Raiders' offense to really get into rhythm and go. No, they did, and I really like how the offensive line took it personal when all the all the headlines were that this was Khalil Mack's revenge game, and like you mentioned, he was going to have his way with the Raiders, and he was going to get strip sack after strip sack after sack on Derek Carr. I mean, he was coming after his buddy. I mean, every headline that you could even think of was written, and the offensive line took it personal, you know, and they punched them in the mouth. Instead of allowing Khalil Mack to punch them in the mouth and have the, his way with them, they punched first. You know, they hit the hit the bully in the mouth, and he didn't know what to do with it. You know, everybody's got to play until you're you're on the on the on the on the canvas looking up you know until you get punched in the mouth and you're on the canvas you know Mike Tyson said that and it's just it's one of those things man the the Raiders took it personal and they said okay this might be your revenge game but this is going to be our game we're going to go win this game and and they absolutely did and so the offensive line the defensive line both those uh both the interior lines the trenches were really really good and dominant for the Raiders on Sunday a lot of of domination, a lot of uh, of overpowering, just a lot of muscle was was uh, had by the Raiders down in the uh, in the trenches on Sunday. Absolutely, look at Mo Hurst, two sacks. I mean, give give him credit. Yep. Uh, the Raiders defense, I said, got a game ball. They held the Bears' offense and and their offensive genius of a head coach, which I still don't know why he has that title. And Matt Nagy, right. they held him to two hundred thirty six total yards. Look, Matt Nagy. He, what did the Bears do offensively last year? They, they won because of their defense right. and Fangio controlling the outcome of games. They didn't even win because of anything they did offensively. In fact, if we're really going to be real, they won the division because Aaron Rodgers got hurt week one, broke his freaking knee, and was and played on one leg the entire year. And with a situation where the head coach knew he was probably going to get let go, just a, a dis, uh, for Green Bay dysfunction. With Kirk Cousins being the, the guy in Minnesota, which which was asked night, he got as much money as he did. And then Detroit, where they got a rookie head coach, and he was going to make rookie mistakes. So he kind of lucked into that. And I don't get the, the big deal with the Bears, but in Matt Nagy's title of offensive genius um, and Mitch Trubisky as being that guy, because I've never seen it. Um, but, you know, Trubisky wasn't playing. They pressured Chase Daniels, uh, Chase Daniels all game long. And really, aside from the third quarter, the Raiders dominated the game. Give Nicholas Moreau credit for tackles and a pick. That pick was really pretty. He just you know, slid in the zone. Daniels didn't see him, and he, he did a really good job of holding it down. Carl Joseph, for as much crap as he takes, mm-hmm. he had, I mean, albeit he just had four tackles, but he just did some things in coverage that really neutralized the Bears. And he had a couple big hits. I mean, give Allen Robinson credit for the catch he had on the sideline in the third quarter, or maybe it was the fourth quarter. But but Joseph came over and just laid the wood to him, which really made the catch seem that much better. But give Carl Joseph credit. I said Mo Mo Hurst with his two sacks. And the guy that I've been very critical of, um, only because I I had higher expectations for him uh, the last couple years, and that's Eric Harris. Six tackles, and then that Big fake punt, taking this the the direct snap and picking up the, the first down in the fourth quarter, which really led the Raiders down to their to their their scoring drive. Uh, they kind of cap off the scoring for the game and put the game away and win the game for him. Give Eric Harris some credit too. That's two weeks in a row he's had some he had a really big game for the Raiders. 
No, you're right. Eric Harris has done a heck of a job, and uh, Curtis Riley should never, ever see the field again as a safety. Eric Harris has earned that job, and uh, let him go out and keep on playing. He's done a he's done a great job, and you talked about Carl Joseph. He's done a really good job. And matter of fact, the last two games that he's played against the Colts and the Bears, I thought those were two of his best games he's played so far as a Raider in general. You know, he's just yep. really been playing like he really understands exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's, uh, he's in line in that Paul Gunther defense. And uh, again, man, it just looks like everyone is on the same page as far as uh, having each other's back and, and just not as many blown coverages. I mean, just a lot of a lot of cleanup. They've done a lot of cleanup work compared to what uh, they've been doing, you know, even last year and even early this year. You can see some holes in that defense, but the defense is stepping up, playing a lot better, and Carl Joseph is a major reason why. Absolutely. And then the final game ball I gave out on, on Sunday was to the Raiders front office. And um, Q, honestly, you're the one that brought it up to me, so I want you to get credit for this. Uh, when we were talking pre-show last week, and we had we had said in the, in the text that we sent each other uh, back and forth, it was like, hey, is there anything you want to bring up so we can get into the show? And you're like, yeah, like the travel schedule. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that the Bears didn't travel until Thursday night, Friday morning, until you, you know, told me that. And the Raiders already knew the Raiders were there. You know, they left right after the Indianapolis Colts game. And for me... That was a big deal, but I want to give the Raiders front office credit because what they did is they learned from past mistakes, mm-hmm. and they didn't make those mistakes. Again, you look at you know, Gruden said, okay, well, Seattle got here a week early, and look at how they played compared to how we played. Um, we need you know give us an opportunity to, to, to really go out here and, and not only get our practice time in and get acclimated to the, the atmosphere and the conditions and just how Europe is, because Europe's atmosphere, from my understanding, is very different yep. as far as air quality and everything than we have in the States. So get acclimated. And plus, the guys can go out and enjoy themselves earlier in the week. They can take their, their wives or their girlfriends or moms or whomever that they're out there. They can go out there and enjoy London a little bit and then you know kind of have a regular work week in London. And it worked to perfection. And their Euro trip, I get. I mean, kudos to them for the way they handled it. From from John Gruden to Mike Mayock to Mark Davis for okay and everything. Kudos to the Raiders front office and everybody involved in that decision making process. That puts you in the best position to win a game. Again, you did win for the first time in your team's history in Europe, and puts you in a position to be a team to compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, and you know, the thing about it, it's funny, uh, I had a buddy that actually uh, does radio, does sports radio over in London, and uh, he sent me an interview after after the game, and it was Richie Incognito and him one-on-one, they were talking, and he asked him about the Raiders getting there on Monday, or right after, you know, the Colts game, taking off right after the victory, and uh, basically arriving there Monday morning, and uh, you know, he said, Richie Incognito said straight up, it was important that we got here so early, because I really didn't start feeling even normal, I didn't feel my normal self until about Thursday or even Friday morning. That's a whole week it took Richie Incognito to kind of get acclimated to the the surroundings, the area, the time change, the atmosphere, like you mentioned, all that. It took him basically the whole week of being there to get on the same page and, and be feeling like his normal self. So can you imagine the Bears not getting there till Friday morning? How not normal they felt? I mean, just a, a, a day and a half, two days wow. later when they had to take the field, they didn't stand a chance. And, again, if it wasn't for that, that third quarter, that snowball that happened to the Raiders in the third quarter, this game would have been a blowout. Right. And, and, and the thing is, if you don't know this already, I mean, Q, I know you know this, but athletes, professional athletes are creatures of habit. Yep. 
Like they wake up at a certain time, they eat at a certain time, they work out at a certain time. They're, they're, they have a routine and they don't like to deviate from it whatsoever. So for them to be able to go to Europe and not deviate from that routine, I think now they have the bye week and then they go and then they, you know, they, they're back in Oakland and they're able to, uh, to, to practice and get ready for the next game in the mecca of all football, Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I think that it, it helps the Raiders. And quite frankly, I think for the, for the Packers in particular, it's a trap game because not only are they playing a very good Raiders team coming off a very emotional, I mean, it's, I think it's an emotional win. Anytime you're able to go out there and even with guys that were with the team when Matt was there, they had to feel, I hate saying this because I, it's, it's, it reminds me of just some thoughts, but some, they, they had to feel some type of way about um, all the, the, the the publicity and all the media attention that Khalil Mack was getting. And, and they had to feel somewhat vindicated now by, by beating them. And for Green Bay, I mean, you have Detroit on Monday, and then the following week you have another big game. I, I think that at the end of the day, this could be a trap game for the Packers, which could bode well for the Raiders. It really can. You know, and you mentioned earlier in the show about, you know, this Packer game and then uh, the schedule gets a little bit easier, a lot a lot easier after that Packer game. I mean, really, they got the Packers and then they got the Texans. And, you know, both of those games obviously on the road. And then after that, you know, they're back home. And, and you're right, it gets easier. Uh, in my opinion, a, a good road trip to finish off the road trip that they're on right now would be to go one and one. You know, win one of those games. One either against the Packers or against the Texans. You win one of those, you're doing fine. You know, four and three after those games and, and that kind of schedule that you've been on and those kind of road trips against quality teams – yeah, you're you're doing just fine if they can if they can split the next two games and and that's that's exactly what I'm looking for and if I'm the Raiders that's what uh that's what they should be looking for as well. I mean, obviously they're going to go in expecting to win both, but I mean, you know, there's other teams that are competing as well. You know, and the Packers are no slouch and the Texans are no slouch, so they're going to be tough outs. But if you could take one of those games, man, you're doing well. I'm okay. So you know this, and I think most of Raider Nation knows this. I I am a Green Bay fan. I. I own stock in the team, but I, I, there's some little bolt in the very furthest seat in Lambeau Field from the that from the from midfield. It's in the very far corner. I own like two bolts. I bought two things of stock in them, where I don't get to have any say so with the team. You know, I, I just spent 500 bucks in total to put two screws in a chair <laughs> so they could do some remodeling the Lambeau Field. Okay. Um, and I say this not as a fan. I think Green Bay beats the Raiders, but the Raiders will beat Houston only because I think Houston matches up better against the rate with the Raiders against the Raiders than Green Bay does. Because Green Bay, they can do some. They're winning in different ways that I haven't seen them winning. Number years, first couple weeks they won with defense and running the ball. Last week it was running the ball, but they controlled the game through, through short passes even though Aaron Jones ran for 100 yards, but there was over almost 80 yards. Uh, he caught for almost 80 yards. And there's a certain things that they do differently. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, passing-wise, they're, they're, Green Bay's a better team against the pass than the run. But they, again, forced Dallas to become one-dimensional, neutralize Ezekiel Elliott. And if, if they neutralize Jacobs, I think it's going to pose problems for the Raiders. Um, with that being said... Green Bay also can very well get beat by the Raiders because the Raiders are able to run the ball, control the clock, much like they did against the Bears. 
I think they have a good chance of beating them. The, the, I think the difference will be the guy playing quarterback. It's not Chase Daniels. Right. It's Aaron Rodgers. Of course. So, but we get into that game next week when we, we do our preview. Um, that's going to be one of the you I, I don't think Raider Nation is going to like me next week <laughs> too much. It's you know, all good. It's all, it's all good. It, it ain't no worries. I'll, I'll tell you, man, any game that the Raiders win this year, it's going to be with the recipe that they've been winning with. You know, you got to run the ball. You got to have a heavy dose of the, the run game. Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Washington, uh, whoever you have back there, it's going to be a heavy dose of that. And then, uh, you know, just, just the rest of John Gruden's offense, you know, the, the quick intermediate passes, trying to get those yak yards and take a shot if you get an opportunity. But if not, don't panic. Just stay on schedule. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, speaking of staying on schedule. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk to you about the latest advances, perfect. We're going to talk to you about what's going on in Oakland and some more Raider news. Right here on Q&A on the Silver and Black Friday Podcast Network, powered by SBS. All right, everybody, welcome back to Q&A with your boy Q and myself, Joe Arrigo. On the Silver and Black Friday podcast, never powered by SB Nation. All right, Q. So, Montez Burfick had his hearing on Tuesday. And uh, Derek Brooks, longtime uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer linebacker, uh, who actually played for John Gruden in Tampa and won a Super Bowl, uh, Derek was the person that heard the appeal. And today, on Wednesday, when we record this, uh, the appeal was denied, and Montez Perfect will be and remain suspended for the remainder of this season and the playoffs. Are you surprised by the ruling that that the appeal got denied based off just everything supposedly the good teammate and he's paid the price enough already that you've heard coming out all week long about Montez Perfect? No, no, not surprised at all. Matter of fact, I expected it, and the reason why is if it was just. The, the hit on uh, on, on the Colts uh, tight end, Jack Doyle, if it was just the hit on him and the baggage that came with, you know, who Vontez Burfitt is, then I was expecting it. At first, I originally thought, okay, they, they suspended him for the whole season and the playoffs if they, if they make it to the playoffs. Uh, and, and I thought, okay, they're going to appeal it and it'll probably get reduced to like nine games or ten games, or maybe even eight games. You know, I thought it was going to happen. But... Before the Bears game, when that video popped up and when, when all of a sudden the NFL made a, a big announcement that they found another uh, illegal hit during that Colts game that he should have got penalized for, and then I saw the video and the big hit that he laid on whoever it was he laid it on, and they had nothing to do with the play, I just knew right then it's a done deal. There, there's no way, no way that they're going to go ahead and reduce that because they, they realize that, in their opinion, he's out of control. And, and really on that play, he was out of control. He could be the best teammate, as the guys are saying. Uh, you know, he, he's a leader on their team. I get it. But he's playing a style of ball that the NFL does not allow anymore. And, you know, the thing about it is lots of people say, well, you know, it's because of player safety. They're looking out for player safety. They don't give a rip about the player safety. It has nothing to do with the player safety. It has to do with the fact that they're paying all this money out their pocket because of concussions, because of CTE, because of the lawsuits that they were facing. That's why they care. It's not about the player safety or else they wouldn't be proposing 18-game seasons or 17-game seasons or trying to do any of that. They wouldn't be – if it was all about safety, 
then they wouldn't worry about extra games. It's not about safety. It's about the almighty dollar. It's always about the almighty dollar. That's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, they could say it's player safety all they want. If that was the case, they wouldn't say, hey, by the way, we want you guys to go out there and play two more games in the regular season. That wouldn't be the case. It is the case. It's all about the money. It's all about the money that they they had to spend during the lawsuits, and they continue to spend during the lawsuits. And so that's what it's all about, and they're not going to allow a guy like Vontez Burfitt to cost them another dime. Montez Burfick is the poster child for the new what the NFL is going to turn into, and I say that not not saying that they he's going to be the guy that they're going to turn to and say play like they're going to use it. This is what you don't play like, and this is what happens if you play like this. Right. He's the one that's going to. He's the the example that's being set for the rest of the players. You know, we all we all remember when we were in elementary school, and I I wasn't this guy. Surprisingly, I don't think you were this guy, Q. But you always have that one kid in your class that just pushes the teacher's buttons to the point to where you know the teacher behind closed doors with with their significant other or other teachers like, ooh, I don't like that little badass kid. I wish he wasn't in my class. You know, and and that's the kid that you could do something. You could take a pencil, or you could be talking in class, and they'll, and they'll say, Mr. Myers, please be quiet. And you're like, okay. Then there's the other kid that does it, and it's, go to the principal. I'm not dealing with your crap today. Go. And then the kid, the kid ends up suspended, or he ends up sitting in the, in the back of the room by himself, away from the teacher, or in some cases next to the teacher at the desk because, to the desk because, um, he can't be trusted. That's Vontez Burfitt. And when new rules get instituted and everybody's starting to follow them, I mean, really, everybody's starting to, to use, it's called the hawk tackling technique. They call it the hawk technique, tackling technique. It's because Pete Carroll's the one that instituted it, first at USC, but then at, uh, and then in Seattle when he took the Seahawks over. Um, and it's the rugby style of tackling. And that's the safer way to tackle. And they, um, they want to institute this league wide. I mean, they started at the youth level, you teach it, all the way through uh, Junior All American, Pop Warner, to, to, to high school, middle school, um, and then co- collegiate. That's the way you're taught to tackle nowadays. And Burfick's not tackling like that. And I know for a fact he was taught to tackle that way because of the youth team he played on. I coached in that league while he was still playing there. And that, that was uniformed for us to teach how to tackle. I know he was taught to tackle that way at the high school he played at. I lived there, was there, was involved with the program. I know how they teach to tackle. This is a consorted effort on his end. To, I'm just doing it my way. What they did is made him the example and it's affecting his bottom line because he's not getting paid. That has caught the eyes and attention of every player in the NFL, believe it or not. Because now, now you're messing with my money. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing, if you, if you really want to hit athletes where it hurts, you hit them, you hit them in their wallet. Because that's the only thing. And not no 20, 30, 40, 50,000. No. It's season money. Gone. You're just sit down. You're not getting paid. Now it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now it's like, okay. They reevaluate. So 
Um, I'm not surprised that the suspension is upheld. I was kind of surprised Derek Brooks was the person that heard the appeal, though, just because of his relationship with John Gruden. Um, and even John Running had a relationship with John Gruden as well. So, I mean, it just I, – I, I don't know if that was a, really an independent arbitrator, to, but whatever. At the same time, it's almost like anybody else that was formerly a Raider, it's almost like he's been hurt for the year. There's no woulda, coulda, shoulda. Oh, if he was here, you know what? No, to hear Whitehead's going to go in there uh, in that middle linebacker position, he's going to lock it down, he's going to hold it down. And he did a really good job last week, had a really good game. He's a leader. And I, and I, I, I think now that he's had a year in Gunther's system, he understands it a little bit more. I don't know if they're going to really – they may skip a beat here and there, but for the most part, I think it's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah, no, I think they're going to be just fine. I mean, I really do. I think that they learned a lot from from Burfitt while he was there. I think, like you mentioned, Whitehead, he's a lot more comfortable. He mentioned that last week in London. He's a lot more comfortable in that role this year than he was last year because, yeah, he knows the checks now. He knows what Gunther's looking for. He knows all that after being in the in the system for a year. So I, I think that that's all going to be relevant, and that's all going to help out as well. And then, uh, like you said, uh, you know, Nicholas Morrow, it's his time to step up. Uh, they got some young pups on the roster, too, that – you know they should be. You know they should be able to uh, contribute as well, and they did a really good job in in uh, in London. And the thing about it is, man, they threw all kind of different little schemes and and approaches at the Bears, and really looked like they confused them because honestly, they had done some stuff that I hadn't even seen the Raiders do in a long time defensively. So uh, yeah, man, they're 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 gonna find a way to to overcome this. But with that being said, I will say since he's going to miss all the season, no matter how long it goes, it can go uh, all the way to the Super Bowl, he's going to miss. I mean, it doesn't matter. He, he's out until 2020. He didn't have very much burn on his body this year. If if they if they like him, if they really like him as much as they're saying they do, and if he means that much to the team, and if he has a desire to play again in 2020, I would resign him. I, I really would. And I'm a guy that was, I was 100% against it. You know that for a fact. I was 100% against uh, him being on the team to begin with. But if they embrace him that way and feel like he's a leader, like they're saying he is, even though you know the risk that you're taking, I'd give him another one-year deal. Why not? Man, I tell you what, I would love to have an unholy trinity next year. <laughs> I'd like with the unholy union this year with 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 Perfect and maybe in Dominican Sue. But what about a trinity? You have Richie Incognito for another year in the mix. Tell me <laughs> that wouldn't be amazing in Vegas. Oh, my God, my job would be so easy, so easy. Uh, the, the sound bites coming out of there would be amazing. But, but uh, to your point, I agree. If, if, he were to wanna, if they were to bring him back next year, I would be very open to it on a similar deal to what he got this year. Yep. Um, one of the things, and I brought up Vegas, and I kind of didn't want to segue to this right now, but let's go ahead and just pivot to it. Um, earlier this week, it was a couple of days ago, um, a report came out. I want to say it was ESPN or SI, one of the two, that say Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred uh, told Oakland Mayor Libby Shaft that it's a very real possibility that the A's could move to Las Vegas because he is pissed. And that for my people in, uh, that work with baseball said, piss isn't even the word to use. He's beyond livid with the city of Oakland, Libby Schaff and the politics of the city because he felt like we tried to, um, 
we tried to help you out by allowing your allowing your team to stay in Oakland when they could have moved to San Jose. We told you what you needed to do in terms of getting a stadium done, much like the NFL told the city of Oakland, and yet you're still not listening. And this goes back to, we talked about it briefly last week, the, the county is being sued by the city because the county wants to sell the Oakland A's their 50% stake in the half of the land at the Coliseum so they can build their own stadium there. The city of Oakland doesn't want that to happen because that's the last bit of beachfront property in the Silicon Valley. So they're doing everything they can to try to control that because, quite frankly, and this goes back to when the Raiders were dealing with this prior to the relocation vote and all the people from uh, Forever in Oakland and, um, and the Stay in Oakland group and all those people – Oh, they're not trying to negotiate with the city of Oakland. No, the city of Oakland's making it impossible for the Raiders and Mark Davis to negotiate at all because they're not willing to do anything. And they're not going to take a deal and get taken up the ass from the city of Oakland just to keep them there. There has to be a deal that works out that's beneficial for all parties involved. The city of Oakland is not willing to do that. And it's evident now when, the, when Major League Baseball, who, by the way, has the strongest union in all of professional sports, and will do what they want, when they want, how they want. They'll tell the city to go screw themselves. When, this, when Major League Baseball now is pissed off at the mayor of Oakland, that speaks volumes to what Mark Davis did, how right was the right decision, and for Oakland Raider fans to really sit back and take all their bias they want them to stay there and look at it as the best possible move for the franchise, for the future, and right now, is for them to move to Las Vegas and play in their own digs. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really telling. It really is telling. For anyone who had any kind of questions on what was really going on in the city of Oakland and who might, you know, you point the finger at for this, that, and the other, I mean, you could tell that there's so much dysfunction. I mean, it really is, and I hate it. I hate it for the city of Oakland. I hate it for the Bay Area. I really do. The people that all still live there, uh, it really hurts me to my heart being an Oakland guy. I'm just like, man. That really sucks how how everything's going down there. I mean, pretty soon they're going to have absolutely no team in the city of Oakland, and that's that's un- unacceptable. I mean, it really is because that spot right there off of 880, it, it used to be such a great sports spot with the A's, the Warriors, the Raiders all being there. Really, really cool. But all of a sudden to see a report saying that, yeah, the A's could end up in Vegas if the if the city of Oakland doesn't drop their lawsuit, it's you know, and it's something that you, you mentioned, man. We talked about it last week. We talked about the fact that, you know, the AAA affiliate's already there. And I, I would be not shocked to see, you know, to see the A's end up there. And really, honestly, I've been thinking it anyway for the longest that, you know what, they're probably going to end up in Vegas too. And, and just, it's almost like uh, Vegas is the new Oakland. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, just one of those, one of those situations. And if it, if it happens, then I guess so be it, you know, but uh, the city of Oakland needs to get their stuff together, and I never dive into the political part of things. I, I never don't. I mean, I never do because I just I'm not there, and I I can't hear all sides of it. But just from a distance, man, just just seeing what's going on, it's it just makes me shake my head. It's really really sad for the city of Oakland and all the people that live there. The optics look horrible for the city. Right of Oakland. there, you go. Like, there's no other way to put it. I mean, you go from having a major league baseball team that goes to the playoffs on a pretty regular basis and, and, and does it with bargain basement prices and doing it well, well underneath the luxury tax in major league baseball to having one of the most iconic brands in all of professional sports 
and a team that is turning the corner in the Raiders and in becoming what they once were potentially. And the team that's been to five straight NBA finals, winning three of them. And potentially all of them are going to be gone in a matter of a, a few years. You know, I know the, the Warriors moved across the Bay, but they're no longer in Oakland. They're in San Francisco at the Chase Center. It makes no sense. And it goes back to, from what, I'll share this. I think I've talked about it on a Periscope. I don't know if I ever told you this, Pete. So one of the things that I was told by somebody in the organization was um, when Al Davis was still alive and he was back and he had moved back, he was at a home game in his box. And um, I believe he was the mayor then, Jerry Brown. I'm not sure if he was governor of California at that time. Cause remember, he was governor twice right. in, in California. Um, he walked into Al's owner suite and was trying to talk to him about Mount Davis. And somehow there, I guess there was a discrepancy with something. And Al was like, watch, you know how, I mean, him watching the game, don't bother him. He's watching his baby out there. And he basically, he, the exact words I was told was he told him to get the hell out of his suite and take his effing cheerleader with him. The cheerleader he was referring to was Governor Brown's protege, Mayor Libby Schaaf. <laughs> so there is a personal aspect of this aspect of this that doesn't get talked about. And for me, living in Vegas, I don't want the A's to move out of Oakland. I don't. I don't. I can't. Can't think of the Las Vegas Athletics. Where do you have the Las Vegas Athletic Club in? Oh, in Vegas, which is uh, like a 24-hour fitness type place, but it's like a club environment. They're all over the place. The LVAC. I want the A's to stay in Oakland. Just like I wanted the Raiders to stay in Oakland. I had no say so whether or not the, the Raiders moved down. Um, just reported what I what I knew. But with the A's, I don't have. I have no want for them to be here. Only because I, don't, I, I think of the A's, I go back to the Ricky Henderson days, the first time. Uh-huh. Sal Bando, you know, uh, Vita Blue, uh, uh, Billy Martin is the manager. At one point it was uh, the great Joe DiMaggio managing that team. Then, you know, and then in the 80s they were okay to get to like the, the Bash Brothers or the Caseco Maguire. Then, then was it 89, really 89 through 91, um, you had those those teams with, again, the Bash Brothers, Carney Lansford, uh, Walt Weiss, Ricky. Ricky Henderson, Dave Stewart, who I'm a friend of Dave Stewart. I grew up with his son, Adrian, and his daughter, Elise. They're very good friends of mine. Elise is one of my best friends to this day. Um, so is Dave, for that matter. Dave is, was instrumental in what I did post-college and – and even getting back and getting into the media world. Um, Dennis Eckersley, Bob Welch. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Dave Henderson. Um, shoot, I mean, the, the, uh, Terry Steinbach. I'm not an A's fan, but I remember those teams because they're iconic. Right. And I don't think of Vegas when I think of the A's. Right. I, at the end of the day, I hope the city of Oakland and the A's and Major League Baseball can come, can come 
to some type of amicable agreement because to lose the A's to Vegas, it's almost like we're, like Vegas is Trey Songs. Instead of Mr. Studio Girl, it's Mr. Studio Franchise. <laughs> and I, I don't want that to be Vegas. We're, it's already bad enough. An NBA team will be moving here in the next five years. Um, those of us around town already know who it is. Um, it's not a secret. It's not, a, 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 not the best-kept secret. But don't need the A's here to do that. If Major League Baseball wants to expand like they say they do, Vegas would be great for expansion and allow the city to grow with the team like they did the Golden Knights. Um, but it's not, it's not, I wouldn't want to take a team, again, from the same city or to get a team to, to relocate from the same city that the, the most iconic thing about Oakland to me has been the Raiders, and they're coming to Vegas. I just don't think it's a good look. No, you're right. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. But, I mean, again, you got to go where you got to go. And if the finances ain't right in Oakland, which clearly they're not, I mean, there's a lot of things, not only the sports things that are going on in Oakland, but a lot of things that are going on that just aren't right. You know, and again, I'm not trying to crap on the city because I love that city. That's that's one of my favorite cities in America is Oakland, California. But it's just, it's unfortunate right now. It's unfortunate things that are going on. Hell, it's unfortunate what's going on in California, period, right now. I mean, hell, if you think about yeah. it, there's like 800,000 people losing their power over the next couple of days, uh, you know, with the PG&E and everything. And I remember when I lived there, it's like the rolling blackouts. I remember that. I mean, there's so many things that are screwed up with just California politics in general. As a California dude, as an Oakland dude, it just hurts me. It hurts me to see where I'm sitting. I'm in Central Texas, and I could sit back and I could look at my former home, and I could look at where, you know, I called home and how much I love the Bay and how much I love Oakland and realize things ain't good. Things are not good there right now, and I'm in a much better place right where I'm at, even though I desire to be right there. <laughs> I desire to be right in the middle of it, you know? So it's just one of those things, man. Like, uh, it, it is what it is at this point. It sucks, but uh, at some point, man, Oakland's got to look in the mirror and say, hey, this is uh, our bad. You know, we, we got to get our stuff together. Our stuff ain't right, and, and it really isn't. And if, if every other state and, 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 you know, cities are able to get their stuff together, how come California can't do it, you know? And so it's... It's unfortunate, man, and so it, you got you just got to roll with the punches, you know. So hopefully they don't lose their their baseball team, but it, it very well could happen. It's weird because um, I think the best thing to happen in California, the best law that was passed, was one that Governor Newsom signed a couple weeks back about the the Fair Play Act, about getting uh, the, the likeness for college athletes yeah. being able to profit off that starting in twenty twenty three. I'm all for that. Me too. One hundred percent, all for that. Me too. I'm anti NCAA. I'm like really, like I'm not at all about what the NCAA is about and how they conduct themselves. Um, but I would hope that California does get their act together and really turn it around, um, especially the city of Oakland. Because look, if we're going to talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you like this, Q. You know me. For a while now, and uh, I'm a hip hop head, and grew up listening to Too Short, E40, The Click, um, rapping Fote, um, shit, Mac Dre, and even now, like I'm, I mean, obviously Tupac, and when I think of Pac, I think of Oakland. I don't think of L.A. Just, just me, a digital underground, um, but even now. One of my favorite artists right now is Sweetie. 
I think the world of her, you know, her, I like her, uh, what, g Easy. So, like, Oakland has a lot to offer the, the, how eclectic it is and the vibe there. But until the people that are in power there get taken out with people that actually want to be proactive and productive and to be an asset and not a liability, I don't see how any team would want to stay there and even rock with that city. I mean, that's just me. I mean, I've been there quite a few times. Been there to watch my brother play when he was with the Chiefs. Um, and I tell you, it's just, it's really unfortunate. And I hope the, I hope they turn it around, much like you. I really do. It sucks if they don't. I mean, and then, you know, then it's like, I don't think anybody from Oakland will ever like anything in Vegas because at that point it's like, Everything that's Oakland, like you said, everything that was Oakland is now Las Vegas. I, I, think, Las Vegas. I think at some point, though, people will realize that, okay, look, it's no longer you, it's me. You know what I mean? And when I say me, I don't mean the person. I think they'll realize that, okay, you know what? It's not someone else coming in stealing what we have. It's what we have we can't hold on to, and that's our fault. Yeah, uh, that, that's the, that, the way to look at it. I, I would think, and, you know, I don't think anybody wanted to believe that the city of Oakland would let the Raiders just walk away. Um, but that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, and, and now it looks like it's starting to happen with Major League Baseball. And at some point you have to look in the mirror. You're right. Yep. 100%. Yep. So, okay, Q, it's a, it's a bye week, so there's not a lot of other things that's going on. Um, what are you going to be doing during your bye week? Working. <laughs> I mean, what what do I always do, brother? I'm going to be working. I mean, look, I got high school games on Friday. I got college games on Saturday. Uh, probably shoot up to the to the Cowboy game on Sunday and uh, and cover that because I mean that's just what I do. So I, I mean, I'll be very active, very busy. But at least I won't have to worry about hey, what's going on with the Raider game while I'm up there paying attention to what the Cowboys got going on with the. I believe they got the Eagles this week. So or no, no, they got the Jets. Oh no, you know what? The Jets it's on the road, so I can't even go to the game. Hell, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do on Sunday then. I just, well, I guess you just cleared my Sunday for me. I don't know. I have no idea what I'll be doing. See? Well, I know you don't watch it, but you still watch Power. Get caught up on Power. But anyway, it's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> Way too far behind on that. Um, Way too far behind. Man, um, before I forget, the Raiders put off that trade this week with the Bills for a fifth-round pick in uh, this year's draft. 2021 draft. 2021. Yeah. So this is a guy, look, and I know I got some, like, a couple people hit me on Twitter asking me what I thought about the trade. And I, I don't know how you feel, Q. I just feel like they're trying to find the right mix of receivers at this point. Um, obviously, you know, you have something in uh, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, um, Doss. Um, I think Trevor Davis has a legitimate chance to be a good three or four there. Uh, for the time being, and then I think Jones could be that guy. I think it affects J.J. Nelson more than anybody else because Jones is a speedster. He had a, a really good rookie year a couple of years ago, um, and then it fell out of favor in Buffalo for whatever reason. So I do think that that he's the type of guy that, that – is he going to be a number one or number two? No. He's right. a good complimentary receiver. Um, I think your number one is either 
playing in another city right now for another team or playing in college football right now. Um, and I, I think, think that I think college, next year's number one. Yeah, I think college football is probably the better idea of where, where the number one's playing at right now. But, you know, to go to go back with what you're, you're saying and piggyback on it, I mean, I think the Raiders just have a roster of guys right now. You know, they made the move for Trevor Davis. That was a, a lower move. He's already started to pay some dividends, even though he doesn't know the whole offense. Gruden has found a way to incorporate him in. He's done some good things on kickoff return. He's also done some good things on offense. And I think he's going to do the same thing with Zay Jones, just find a little, carve out a little niche for him. And look, good coaches do that they find guys that have a certain skill set and they find a way to utilize it well trevor davis has some real good speed real good speed zay jones ain't quite as fast as trevor davis but he's still got some speed you know you're hoping that tyrell williams comes back at some time some point he has you know he has the height he has the height in the hands and then you got darren waller who's a mismatch nightmare at the tight end position who's really basically like a wide receiver playing tight end i mean there's a lot of different parts there may not be a number one number one but there's guys that are good enough to get it done, and, and and as long as you realize what they're really good at and you take you take advantage of that, you can still have a very successful offense. I mean, look. Look how many times the Patriots have had great offenses and never had a number one wide receiver. They've had guys that are really good, but nobody who's like a superstar. I mean, they're, they're, it's very rare. When they had Randy Moss, they had a superstar. Josh Gordon could be a superstar, but you have no idea how long he's going to be there because he's always getting suspended. I mean, they, they got guys. Edelman, of course, he's a, he's a hell of a player, but, I mean, he's he, he's – He's kind of limited in what he could do, but he does it really, really well. You know what I mean? So there's there's different things you could do. And not saying that the Raiders are trying to be the Patriots, but if you get these guys, you just got to know how to take advantage of their skill set. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, it's all about mismatches and it's all about putting your players in the best position to be successful because at the end that helps out your team to be successful. And that leads me to the last bit for me for the show. Uh I've been asked repeatedly about A.J. Green. Should the Raiders trade for A.J. Green? Will they trade for A.J. Green? Same thing with Jalen Ramsey. Look, what I know is this, and I'll talk about Ramsey first. Jacksonville's not going to trade him. As of right now, the owner, Chad Khan, as I said last week or the week before, um, he doesn't want to trade him at this point. He wants to go the season with him, see what happens, and then potentially in the offseason, Go ahead and make that move and make and, and trade for him, uh, or maybe make a trade and, and get something in return. Uh, Philly offered a first and a third for him. That wasn't enough. I know the Raiders had made an offer. Green Bay had made an offer. Um, I, I know San Diego was interested. Kansas City was interested. There's a lot of teams who are interested in, in Jalen Ramsey. When in terms of AJ Green, I wouldn't trade for AJ Green. There's no way I would trade for AJ Green. He's been hurt. He's been hurt the majority of his career. Now, what I would do, because sometimes players need to get out of a situation where they're at in order for them to be successful and thrive. For me, I would most definitely in the offseason, if, he, if he's interested in coming to Las Vegas, sign him to a deal then, because at that point, you're not giving up draft picks. You're not giving up assets for a guy that won't re-sign with you potentially. You wait till he's a free agent, then you bring him in because nobody, if you like him that much, nobody can outspend you. You're going to have $85 million underneath the cap roughly, and it probably is going to go up if certain players don't get brought back. So if that's the case, you can go ahead and make that move and, and bring that, that guy in and A.J. Green in, um, but I don't see them making a trade, I would, not even just for anybody, but – Genuinely speaking, 
generally speaking, I don't see them making a deal, a bigger deal at all, anytime soon the rest of this year. No, I don't either. I, I don't either, and I, I'm with you. I would not trade for A.J. Green. Many people have asked me, you think the, the Raiders should kick the tires? No. If you kick the tires, you might injure him. He's already injured. I mean, he hasn't played at all this season. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just there – just don't no. Just because he may be available doesn't mean he necessarily has to be a Raider. I mean, it's, it's that that's one thing that drives me crazy about social media is as soon as a guy gets cut, as soon as a guy may be available for a trade, it's like every Raider fan and their mother tweets at Raiders, go get him, go get him, go get him. Just because he had a name at some point, you don't need to go get him at this point. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And A.J. Green, why would you want a guy who's always banged up and injured and has not played a down not one single down. He got injured in the preseason, has not hit the field yet. No, there's no the way. series of the preseason. Exactly. There's no way I would even think about trying to make a trade for him. And I'm really not interested in signing him as a free agent either, you know. But, uh, you know, that that's that's neither here nor there because who knows what they would give up for him. It, it might not be much or how much they'd pay him. might not be a whole lot. So maybe it'd be worth it at that point. But I'm just – I'm not even interested. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have been talking about Stephon Diggs. I don't see Minnesota giving him up. I really don't. I, that, I The last report I heard is that they said they're going to try to hopefully let everything blow over. And I think that with the team that they have, the roster that they have, the pair of good wide receivers that they had or have in uh, Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and, of course, they have Dalvin Cook. I mean, just they have a dynamic offense with a hell of a defense. I just don't see them trying to say, oh, well, you know what? He's not very happy. He wants more more uh, catches. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on from him. I don't see that happening, so I think that's a pipe dream for most Raider fans to think that Stephon Diggs is going to be a Raider. I just don't see it. That actually is the one I think could happen because I think the Vikings are not a playoff team at all. Right, The way they're playing right now, they're not a playoff team. Um, Cook, stud. Thielen is overrated. <laughs> He's I good, man. Small. He's good, dog. He could play, man. Thielen could play. Bro, I, I watched Jair Alexander strap him up for three games. Well, he's the, he's, the he's a hell of a defensive him, back, though. Alexander could play his tail off. He's a hell of a defensive back. Okay, <laughs> okay so, you, so a hell of a defensive back can strap up a receiver with a hell of a receiver on the other side. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, you put Jalen Ramsey on Thielen, he's strapped up. Like, can you say that about Julio Jones? Can you say that about Nuke? Can you say that about Devontae Adams? Can there's you not, say that about Odell uh, There's not many that Jalen Ramsey will go up against that he can't he can't go toe-to-toe with. There might be some that get him a few times, but Jalen Ramsey can lock up just about anybody. That's why he's one of the best in the league. I think Thielen, I think I think Thielen's a dog, man. I, look, Minnesota's 3-2 and two right now. They're not. I mean, they're not like they're 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 out of the race or anything. Green Bay's at four and one, and Minnesota's at three and two. Uh, they they're right there in the thick of things. But that four and one against them is like basically five and zero oh because they beat them. And the same thing with Chicago. No, I got you. I so, got you on that. I'm, but you can still you know, get a wild I, I card. Guess, I, well, potentially, yeah. But at the end of the day, Dallas and Philly. Then you have the NFC West, the Rams and the 49ers. So, so you got those four teams. The two wild card spots are going to go to one of those two teams. It's not going to be Minnesota, and it's not going to be Chicago. I can I can promise you that the winner of the North is the only team out of the North going to the playoffs, unless something tragic happens in San Francisco, unless the Rams fall flat on their ass, unless the Dallas just takes a dump, Philly 
if Wentz gets hurt and they fall off the, you know, the Eagles nest, like there's, they're literally the, the NFC is, is a ton of teams. I just don't believe that feelings, that guy Diggs, on the other hand, his ass. And, and you got it. Like, I guess the Minnesota dichotomy and the, and the dynamic in Minnesota, you have to understand it. And being that like the same way you can, you'll understand and you know, football in general, but most fans generally, generally, they know about their opponents and their division and their org- those how those organizations are ran. You know, pretty they, they understand the intricacies of it. So I'm like that with Minnesota, and people I've talked to says Diggs and their head coach uh, Zimmer uh, don't get along, and his act is ran thin on him, and that's a no nonsense dude. Oh no, you're like, right about a, that. Yeah, you're right about that. And even with their GM, it's kind of like, really? Like, you don't even show up to practice, and now you're winking at the camera saying you want to be here. Like, really? Like, you can't just let water under the bridge go? No, because he's tired of it. Minnesota, no matter what, no matter how they try to frame it, no matter how they try to do things, no matter how beautiful the, the stadium is, there's always a stench in Minnesota for whatever reason. There's always something. There's always something to miss in Minnesota. Why is it their best players always want to leave? Randy Moss, Dante Culpepper, Adrian Peterson, Chris Carter, Stephon Diggs, Chris Dolman. I mean, Dolman ended up staying, but there's all their dogs wanted to leave. Everybody that's been anybody to that organization, and. I don't know, but I think – do I think they trade for Diggs this year? No. With all that being said, I don't think – but I think Diggs gets moved. I could definitely see someone someone dealing for Diggs. I could see Miami or I could see Washington and Washington doing some type of deal because he went to Maryland. I could see Washington putting their big left tackle in type, some type of deal like Williams and a pick going for Diggs because Minnesota's offensive line is shoddy. It's bad, real, real bad. And they need somebody to keep their quarterback upright. And rather, you rather have above Most people will tell you, uh, most people that, that know football will tell you they'd have, much rather have an above-average offensive tackle, someone like Trent Williams, than a guy that's a star or more than an above-average receiver like Stephon Diggs. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think he gets moved at all because I think they still believe in their team. Uh, regardless if they end up making the playoffs or not, uh, sitting at three and two, you're in the thick of things. <laughs> I mean, you absolutely are in the thick of things. I mean, look, the the Cowboys and the Eagles are tied for first in the NFC East, and they're sitting at three and two. You're at three and two. You're in you're in the hunt, regardless of, of the situation. So uh, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. I don't think Diggs goes anywhere. Uh, he, you know, I know you're on record of saying you you feel like he could be moved, but. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I think Minnesota knows that they have a hell of a squad. They've dished out a lot of money, and I don't think they're ready to just say, okay, um, we're, we're going to get there on the on the strength of one guy who, who, in your opinion, is not even that great of a wide receiver in Adam Thielen, which I think he's a hell of a wide receiver. Uh, but, again, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I'll, I'll worry about Minnesota when, when that time comes. And, well, the time already passed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, – I, I have a unique way of looking at receivers and feeling is a really good number two. That's what he is. 
I can see he, that. He needs to have, you know, he's not. Okay, I, this goes back to last last summer before the season started. I got into a heated Twitter debate because I said top five receivers in the NFL are. This was last summer now. Uh, in no order. You can put them in whatever order you want. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, um, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, and um, who's my fifth? Odell Beckham. Of pure talent. I believe that's what five was. But the big thing for Minnesota, I got hit up by everybody. I think it's damn near every Minnesota Vikings fan in the world. Adam Thielen needs to be in there. Adam Thielen. He's better than Devontae Adams. He's no. better than Odell Beckham. No, no, no. I wouldn't say no. that. I wouldn't go no. that far. No. no, that's crazy. No, that, that's what was being said. And so the first couple weeks of the, of the season, he got off to a pretty hot start. I mean, after the Green Bay game, he didn't, but he was off to a hot start after that. And they were all, oh, they were adding me with everything. All of a sudden, by season end, they were quiet as church mice. They're quiet. They're they're quiet. Quiet, more quiet than two dollar horse sitting in on church on Sunday morning. It is not a peak. Well, Devonte Adams, who makes a lot less money than Adam Thielen after the deal he signed, and I think it's a bargain for a team like Green Bay. After Nuke, hell, I'll say this about Odell Beckham. Odell caused a lot of problems himself, but when it comes to the pure talent. Technique standpoint, getting off press, footwork, route running, the way he sets it up. He, he is top four in the NFL. The best release in the NFL is Devontae Adams. He's got the best release. His release package is crazy. There's nobody better. But after that, you have Odell. He's right there. Antonio Brown, no matter what you say. Well, anybody, you know, I'm saying you, Q, but it's general. Talent-wise, right there is technique. New technique. Mike Mike uh, Thomas technique. Mike Thomas is another guy I had in there. Um, those are they're just different. I don't get that with Dylan. To me, Dylan is a guy that can't run certain routes. He's got to go north and south. And again, if I'm six foot two, six foot three, whatever he is, and a five foot nine or five foot ten guy is bullying me every time we play. I'm sorry, I have a problem with that if I'm a coach. I have a problem with that. I get it if someone's equal to you in size. But there's no way a five foot ten cornerback is going to run through me, drive me back to my other receiver on national television, not only cause a fumble, or not, but not only make them play in the backfield on the screenplay, but cause a fumble at, at that. And I'm sorry. And... I'm a Jair Alexander fan. My, my last child's middle name is Jair. So I'm sitting back like, this dude ain't that guy. He doesn't come up big in big games. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Give me Tyrell Williams over Adam Thielen. How's that? I mean, that's, that's cool. Like you said, though, I mean, a, a good number two, you know, and so then you need a number one. Who's your number one? Stephon Diggs. So that would be the Stephon reason. Diggs. So why move? So that's what I'm saying. One. So why move him? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If Adam Thielen is a good number two, which I agree with, and Stephon Diggs is a number one, why would you move any of them? Because sometimes you win 
Sometimes, uh, how do you Okay, say Rosie both? Perez, uh, don't, don't go there on White Man Can't Jump. Sometimes you lose when you really win. Sometimes you win when no, you no, really no, lose. No, 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 no. And I'm sometimes when you want a glass of water, <laughs> when I say I'm thirsty, I don't really want you to go get me a glass of water. I want you to empathize with me and say, yes, I know how it feels nah. to be thirsty too. I used to like Rosie Perez, not anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love Rosie still. Um, no, addition by subtraction. Sometimes you can do more by getting rid of somebody. You can bring in a couple more pieces that are more complimentary. You have Irv Smith that's underutilized there in Minnesota. And you, have, you can have Thielen, Irv Smith. You, you, take a, you go get a younger guy. You, have, you can go make some other moves to bring in some guys that, that fit what you want to do culture-wise cultural, cultural within your organization. I don't think Diggs fits their culture right anymore. If there's, there's no other way I could describe it. You have guys like Antonio Brown didn't fit the Raiders' culture at all. In fact, let me say this. Kudos and a big round of applause to Mike Mayock because Mike Mayock was the adult in the room during the Antonio Brown saga. He wasn't letting the petulant child dictate and run rough shots through the Raiders organization like he did Pittsburgh. He stood up to him, smacked him down, told him no, and he didn't like it. Mayock doesn't get enough credit, but I can tell you this. I talked to four or five people with different organizations in the last two weeks. And really, and like this, because I was kind of going to work on a story about it. I don't know if I'm still going to. And they said, they called Mike directly and told him, thank you. You did it. You handled everything the right way. And I forget who I was talking to about it. Oh, it was Nick Hamilton. Uh, Nick and Scott do uh, Silver and Black Turf here on Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network on SB Nation. And we got into a little debate about it yesterday. And he thought that the, that the Raiders looked like a joke trading for Antonio Brown. And he thought that the Raiders took a PR hit through the side, and I'm like, why? No, they didn't. They, can, they did everything you could do, and then some, and it's coming out what they did. It's, but we just live in a hyperbole where everybody wants information and everything to happen right now, where they want instant gratification, and that's not how it works. They want instant results. That's not how it works. Where Mayock did everything right, and executives from around the NFL called him, and agreed that he did. He handled everything perfectly, and he knew what happened in Pittsburgh because of his ties to to Pennsylvania, not just with the Eagles, but also with the Steelers. So, kudos to Mike Mayock. He's done a fantastic job in the seven, eight, nine short months or whatever it is, ten short months of being the Raiders general manager. Yeah, I agree. He he did, he did what he had to do, and uh, yeah, I agree with cutting the losses on on AB. And I mean, hey, you gave up a third to fifth for him, fine, so be it. Let him go. I mean, he he was an issue. Obviously, he was a bigger issue than even what the Raiders had because he 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 flamed out New England instantly. So I mean, he lasted eleven days there. So you already knew what kind of dude he was, and the Raiders made the right move. Mike Mayock did the right thing to get rid of him, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that that getting rid of Stephon Diggs is going to be addition by subtraction because that dude that dude can can help make that Minnesota 
team, uh, a real contender in the NFC North. Not saying that they're going to win the division, but they can they can they can be a player in that division, and they got to play every team twice there. So uh, we'll see how it ends up shaking out. But uh, yeah, I don't think that team, in my opinion, I don't think that team uh, they they dis- disassemble at all. At least not this year. I think they, if they do that, it'll be in the off season. I don't disagree with that, but I'm just saying out of the three names that we mentioned, AJ Green. Um, Jalen Ramsey and Stephon Diggs. The one that was is most likely to be moved. As, as, if as, if one is going to be moved out of the three, I think it'll be Diggs over the other two. Just because the, the Bengals have a history of not dealing guys, and his injury history scares teams. Him being AJ Green, the owner is not going to deal Jalen Ramsey. He's told uh, people that he's not going to do that um, behind the scenes, but. Minnesota, I think that's the one team that would. I think Spielman, their general manager, uh, I think he would be, I think he's more likely to, to pull the trigger. And it may be for another player that could help out. I don't know. But I just think out of the three. But I'm not saying it's going to happen. But maybe just my hatred for the Vikings coming through a little bit, you know. There you go. Because that's team I dislike. Vikings dislike the Chiefs. Right. I so, hear you. I hear you. Ain't nothing wrong with that. That's all good. Nah. Anyway, folks, that's the show for this week. We thank you for listening. Um, enjoy the bye week. Um, if you're in Vegas, uh, go to Al's Garage in Summerlin. Go check them out. They got a really cool assortment of beverages. Happy hour from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. All the games on all the TVs. Summerlin, a real cool spot. Non-smoking establishment, kid friendly. So go check them out. Uh, I've watched all the different games there. I've plugged in because it's a really cool place. When you come out here, I'm taking you there. Done. You're enjoy it. You ain't, hey, you ain't got to tell me twice. I'll be there. It's all good. Hell uh, yeah. <laughs> so for your boy Q, I'm Joe Rigo. This has been Q&A on the Silver and Black Tribe Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.